I realize there are many things that might frustrate us about them. But if you had to boil it down to the most frustrating, what would it be? Well, for me, it's the fact that I can never be sure they mean what they say. I can't tell if they're saying what they think the voters want to hear or what they really believe. I can't tell if they're for real or just pretending to be something they're not. Now, that's not to say I write off every politician who flip-flops on something. You know, I may be disappointed if a politician I voted for changes his position, but I can't condemn him if he honestly changed his mind. I think most of us change our minds as situations change and new information becomes available. But politicians, by and large, have a reputation for being disingenuous, for wanting to appear as something they are not for being hypocritical. And that leads to widespread disenchantment with the entire political system. Hypocrisy, however, is not limited to politicians. In fact, Jesus called it the leaven of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, you may recall, were the religious leaders who, who focused on the externals, of religion, who wanted everyone to think they were obeying the law while constantly looking for ways around it. And Jesus called them out on it. When we last studied together, Jesus had made them so mad that they became openly hostile and started plotting against him. The people, however, were apparently entertained by the drama of the confrontation, and Jesus became even more popular because of it. We open the 12th chapter of Luke's Gospel with these words. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Luke begins this chapter with the words, under these circumstances. The circumstances were the open conflicts with the Pharisees. Many thousands had gathered to watch Jesus and the Pharisees duke it out verbally. The scene was one of chaos, with people literally stepping all over each other. And in the midst of this, Jesus spoke to his disciples. And the way Luke records what he said leaves open a couple of possibilities when it comes to understanding the emphasis Jesus was placing on what he had to say and the identity of his target audience. Since there was no punctuation in the original language, it could read, he began saying to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And that would indicate that Jesus was simply telling his disciples something before telling it to others. Or it could read, he began saying to his disciples, first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. 
That would mean Jesus was telling his disciples that what he was about to tell them was of primary importance. Now, the translators of the New American Standard don't place the quotation marks where I place them in that second option. But they did add the words of all, which are not in the text, after the word first. He began saying to the disciples, first of all, and I think that supports the contention, that Jesus was saying that the leaven of the Pharisees, which he identifies as hypocrisy, should be the first thing, the most important thing, the disciples should be aware of. Now, Unless you've taken home a starter for some friendship bread, you may not know what leaven is. But leaven is sourdough that has fermented, which when added to freshly made dough bread causes it to rise. Leaven permeates the dough. It changes it. So Jesus was warning the disciples about the permeating effect of hypocrisy. Now, as you've already noted, hypocrisy has permeated our political system and has made us question the sincerity and integrity of most politicians. And Jesus has been exposing the hypocrisy that had permeated the Pharisees. What he's doing here is warning his disciples about the dangers of hypocrisy. They must not allow the leaven of the Pharisees to permeate their lives and their witness because nothing destroys our credibility and leads to disenchantment with the church more than hypocrisy. If we are to represent him in the world, the last thing we want is for people to have a reason to question our integrity. And we keep that from happening by being for real, by not pretending to be something we're not, by making certain that hypocrisy does not infect our lives. Jesus saw this warning as of the first importance for those who would be his disciples. And he went on to offer four reasons to avoid it in addition to the damage it does to our witness. We should beware of hypocrisy because it is futile, it's foolish, it's dangerous, and it's unnecessary. Let's continue on in that 12th chapter. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. The bottom line for hypocrisy is to keep something hidden. And we may be able to keep something hidden for a time. But Jesus said, there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. 
And as politicians continue to discover, those things they thought they had hidden well have a way of being exposed, and usually at a most inconvenient and embarrassing moment. And even if we succeed in keeping something we've done or said hidden for a long time, perhaps even throughout our lifetime, it will certainly become known after our death. If not exposed here, rest assured, it will become known at the judgment seat of God. In Matthew 12:36, Jesus said in the judgment, we would have to give an account for every careless word that we have ever spoken. Now, as a kid, that was driven home to me by suggesting that in heaven, God would have a movie projector and project my every thought and word and deed on a screen for everyone to see. Now, that really scared me, as good a boy as I was. And it would scare me today if I had not come to understand that when God forgives, he wipes our slate clean. Now, you kids are going, our slate? What's our slate? Well, maybe I should say he deletes our negative files. Okay? Is that better? Okay. The bottom line is that we will not be able to hide the truth forever. So it's futile to try. If it's not confessed and forgiven, it will be exposed. And even if that which we try so desperately to keep hidden is never shouted from the rooftops here, it will be revealed in the hereafter. Again, if it's not been forgiven. Hypocrisy may keep something hidden for a time, but eventually it will be exposed. So ultimately, hypocrisy is futile. And not only that, it's foolish. It's pretty darn. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. The bottom line motivation for hypocrisy is fear. Fear that if someone really knew what we thought or what we had done, they would reject us or hurt us in one way or another. And so we're tempted to try to cover up the truth by pretending to be something we're not. Hoping to gain what we fear we wouldn't if people really knew us or to avoid 
that which we fear might be done to us if they knew the truth about us. And it might work for a time. Hypocrisy might get us a pass with some people some of the time. But it will certainly not get us a pass with God. We cannot pull the wool over his eyes. If we're going to be afraid of anyone, we ought to be afraid of the one who can hurt us the most. The one who can not only kill us, but who can also send us to hell. If fear is going to dictate our behavior, we should fear the one who can condemn us for all eternity. That's not to say, however, that we must live in constant fear of God. It is true that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but perfect love casts out fear. Once we've come into a relationship with Him through the sacrifice of His Son, we don't have to hide anything from Him. He knows us inside and out and still loves us. We may feel unworthy in His presence, but He loves even the sparrows He's created, and we are worth much more to Him than they are. In fact, He watches over us so closely that he even keeps track of the number of hairs on our head. And while that may require more attention for some than others, the point is that he loves us. And it's foolish to fear even him. There's no need to try to hide anything from our Heavenly Father. And there's certainly no need to hide our relationship with Him from others. To do so is not only foolish, it's dangerous. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who will speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Now, I've often asked those who say they're uncomfortable standing before the church to confess their faith in Christ, whether they would rather stand before men or before God without a Savior. When they compare the one fear to the other, they generally find the courage to confess Christ publicly. Indeed, His promise to confess us before the angels that surround God's throne usually gives us the confidence we need to confess Christ before men. But sometimes... It doesn't. Sometimes fear keeps us from saying anything. As I understand it did when Blake was trying to find the courage to ask for Aaron's hand. Sometimes fear 
keeps us quiet. And it leads us into a kind of reverse hypocrisy when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Rather than wanting to appear closer to Him than we actually are, we try to hide our relationship with Him. It may even lead us to deny Him, as it did Peter. And if that denial stands... It will lead to Christ's denial of us before the angels of God. But Christ assures us that a temporary denial caused by fear can be forgiven. Anything we say against him can be forgiven if we will acknowledge our failure and seek his forgiveness. He will never become so offended at something we've said about him that he says, I want nothing more to do with you. It can't happen. However, we may actually get to the place where we no longer seek forgiveness because we've developed a habit of denying him. And if we develop the habit of denying him, we run the risk of losing our relationship with him. We may get to the place where we no longer see a need for forgiveness and even deny that the Holy Spirit has the power to give us what we need to live victorious Christian lives. And if we deny the Spirit's power to work in our lives, we have no hope. We will have blasphemed the Spirit. And our denial of God's power will condemn us because we will no longer seek His forgiveness. That is why on other occasions Jesus referred to this as the unpardonable sin. If we regularly deny our relationship with Christ and pretend not to have one, we may actually Lose it. That's the danger of reverse hypocrisy. Fear should never make us hide our relationship with Christ. Nor should defending it make us think we have to be creative and make us worry about what to say. Verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not become anxious about how or what you should speak in your defense or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus knew that his disciples would one day have to stand before religious and civil authorities. They would be called upon to explain their actions and justify their refusal to bow the knee to Caesar. And that would lead to much greater fear than merely confessing him before their peers. Their life would be on the line. What would they say? How would they defend themselves without making the matters worse 
Jesus knew if they would ever be tempted to compromise the truth, to minimize their commitment to him, that that's when it would happen. If there would ever be a time they might want to give the impression that their faith was no big deal, that would be it. And if careful thought went into what they should or should not say beforehand, they would probably give in to the temptation to make themselves look like something they were not. They would be lured into reverse hypocrisy to keep that from happening. Jesus promised that they would have a helper sent from God who would enable them to be faithful witnesses. He would give them the appropriate words to say when they needed them. They wouldn't need to prepare their own defense. The Holy Spirit would do it for them. And by letting Him do so, they would not slip into hypocrisy out of fear. If they would just trust Him, they would be able to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees. The same is true for us today. If we will let him defend us and have his way with us, there will be no need for hypocrisy. We won't have to pretend to be more than we are or less than we are. We can simply be what, by His grace, we have become. Hypocrisy is futile, it's foolish, it's dangerous, and it's completely unnecessary if we will but surrender to His will and honestly say, Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way.